Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to 715. I hope this finds you well in your quarantine, stay-at-home, stay-safe states. Uh, we miss you guys. I just say it every time I am in front of a camera because I mean it, and our worship team misses you, our staff misses you, our pastors miss you, our AV team behind the cameras and in the booth miss you guys, and we can't wait to be back together again. And we're continuing a series, Pastor Corey and myself, talking about the sovereignty of God, about how God is sovereign over all things. And so even in the place that we find ourselves right now, I hope that you are finding new ways to connect to God. I hope that the time that you have maybe found more of because you don't have a commute or you don't have so many meetings, so many places to go that you've been able to connect with God in new ways. And I hope that you found new ways to connect with your family or your children or maybe just yourself or your roommate. I feel like I have found an abundance of connections in this season. I would not have uh, anticipated that, but I find myself on the phone a lot more with friends and family members. I find myself FaceTiming way more often than ever before. There's an app called House Party, and I can get on it with my brothers and the cousins and the kids, and they can all talk and play games together. And we, you know, when everyone's so busy, we don't have moments like that. And now we have lots of moments. And uh, I've been lucky to be able to dial into a bunch of small groups and see how our leaders are doing and see these amazing pockets of community all over Northern Virginia and Maryland of people, the body, still connecting even though we're apart. We call it being socially distant, but relationally close. So I pray that you find yourself in that same space here tonight on Wednesday night. You're the body of Christ here with us. You know, and I think that's just because God brings dead things to life, you know, and there's life even in places where we may not anticipate that there is life in a place where this seems to be meant to isolate us and to tear us apart and break us down. I have found newfound connections like never before, but that's, that's just who our God is. And I think many of you watching know that. Some of you may not, but let me just tell you freshly again, our God is a God who brings dead things to life. Um, I will say in this quarantine, I am, uh, I'm on a lot more video calls than ever before in my life. A lot of video chats, a lot of Zoom, a lot of Google Meet calls. And uh, I'm grateful for technology. I am glad that I can still see the faces of my coworkers and uh, my small group even. But um, I will admit, I have a hard time on video chats. I'll just be honest with you. I, um, it's hard for me to sit still and focus on one thing. But I feel guilty doing other work on a video call. I feel like most people can tell. Like if you're emailing, you're not really paying attention. Maybe you've found yourself there on a video chat. But uh, I find myself having a hard time staying solely focused. So if, if I could be honest with you, I have been playing a ton of spider solitaire on my desktop, <laughs> like a ton, like never before. And I figure it's the perfect balance of something that occupies my mind and allows me to still listen in, but it's also challenging. I don't know if you've played this game. It's not like normal solitaire. Um, I won't describe the whole thing. Uh, but it's like, it's like solitaire on steroids and much harder. And it's like all one or two suits. And it's just really complicated. It's a tangled mess of cards that you've got to like unpuzzle and figure out and order and do this whole thing. And I find it really fun. And uh, I like this game because it's a game that I can win at uh, more often than not, but it's a game I can't win every time. So, so, so there's a challenge in there. But there's a moment in almost every game there's a moment when I'm playing Spider Solitaire and I got probably Pastor Tellis talking about some youth ministry something and I'm hardly listening. Um, I'm just kidding. I always listen to Pastor Tellis. Um, 
when I'm playing my spider solitaire and there's a moment in every game where I get things to the point where I know I'm going to win this game. Like it's a tangled mess, but as I'm untangling and as I'm figuring it out, as I'm moving the cards and as I'm doing all this, there's a point where I know I've got this. Okay. Like it clicks. Like I, I can see it. I can see the moves ahead and I figured it out. I'm going to win. Um, the game is won. It's just not over yet. Like I still have work left to do. I still got to, you know, get everything in its right place. But I can tell based on the layout, based on what I'm looking at, that I've got this game won. The game is won. It's just not over yet. So then it's a couple more minutes of sorting, figuring things out. Maybe a more relatable uh, story to you is more like when you've watched MJ or LeBron like lock in in a game. Like I remember game six, it was, um, it must have been the Heat Celtics. This was, I don't remember the year. But uh, the Heat had to win if they were going to be in this series. Celtics were up three games, must have been th- three games to two. And LeBron came out and he hit the first, like, I don't know, 15 jumpers in a row. And the game was won. I mean, they had four quarters left to play, but, but the game was won. It was over. This just wasn't finished yet. Or maybe like when you watched a couple years ago, and I'm no Patriots fan, but when the Falcons were up 28-3 and we all were like, oh, thank God the Patriots are going to lose the Super Bowl finally. But then the rest of that game played out and the Patriots charged back in fourth quarter. You just knew Tom Brady was locked in and the game was over. The game was won. It was won. The Patriots were going to win. It just wasn't over yet. The time hadn't run out yet. Do you know that you as a Christian have that same testimony about your life? The game is won. You have victory. It is over. You've got it. The time is just still left on the clock. The game's just not over yet, but you've already won. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today, about how your game is won. It's just not over yet. And so there's a little bit left for us to do. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And... uh, Let's read it. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. Paul says this. He says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray just for a minute. Father God, we're here to hear from you. So Lord, fill my mouth with your words that what comes out is from your lips to our ears. Holy Spirit, join us and speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He's right towards the end of it. This is chapter 15 out of 16. And in chapter 15, he spends all 58 verses unpacking the resurrection. And he's going over it and over it and over it and over it again to make sure the Corinthians understand the significance and the importance of the resurrection. And we might read it in hindsight and feel like, man, these guys should get it. Like, you should understand. But I think, you know, if we're fair, I mean, the resurrection is kind of a crazy thing to understand. I mean, it changes everything. It is the linchpin on, with our, on which our faith hangs. It's been, uh, it's been said that, you know, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, Christianity is of no significance. But if Jesus did, it is of utmost importance for us. 
So Paul is laboring in this, trying to make this point about the resurrection and how important that it is. He's saying ultimately that there can't be new life without there first being death. These two things, life and death, they go hand in hand. And if we're looking for eternal life, there can't be this new life unless what exists perishes. There's a new type of life for us, which means that our mortal flesh, this mortal life has to go first. And for us as believers, we can embrace that idea of death with at least being faith-filled about it. Because for us, there is an ultimate freedom that is found in dying to yourself so that you can be made alive in Christ. There is freedom there. That the old mindsets, the old attitudes, the old habits, the old thought patterns, the old way of doing things, that's got to go. That we can die to that. We can lay that at the foot of the cross and say, that's not me anymore. I am dead to that. You are no longer slave to sin, but now you are alive in Christ. I mean, there's a freedom found in that for you to be who God has called you to be. What Paul is saying here, and if you look at verses 42 through 44 before this, what he's saying here is what is sown, your body, your flesh, what is sown into the earth, that's perishable. But what's raised from that is imperishable. This second life that we have everlasting with the Father. He says this, he says what's sown in dishonor, often our lives feel like they're full of dishonor. I'm trying to teach a four-year-old the word honor And I feel pretty dishonorable in how I feel when he doesn't get it, right? What's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What's sown in weakness, the weakness of our mortal flesh, gets raised in power. What's sown in a natural body gets raised in a spiritual body. What Paul is trying to drive home here is this. This has got to go. This mortal flesh, this old mindset, this old, broken, degenerate human who can't have one healthy thought followed by another, who just is backwards all the time, who can't make a good decision, who can't do right when he tries to, it's got to go. It's got to go. In the resurrection is a new life for us that we can have, for us to be found in spiritual places Our natural must die first so that it can be replaced by that which is spiritual. So in a very real sense, I don't fear death. And I think for us as believers, we know that. I don't know if we're comfortable with that, but I think we know that death is not the end for us. I've done a funeral of a person who didn't know Jesus. And it's, it's tough. I mean, you minister to the gospel because maybe there are those listening with fresh ears who, who want to hear, but where do you find hope in death if you don't know Jesus? And if you've been to a funeral of a believer, I mean, it's sad. It's, I'm not saying it's not sad. It hurts. It's hard. But there's hope in that that's not the end for us that there is more after. And so even in natural death, we have at least, we have hope there. So there's not a fear of death. I mean, I'm not like Paul. Like Paul seemed to, like Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm not quite where Paul is, where Paul almost seemed like he looked forward to it. 
And I get it when you look back at all that Paul suffered. I'm sure sometimes he's like, Lord, just take me now. These churches, these apostles, they don't get it. God, just take me. This suffering is too much to bear, right? Uh, so I don't so much look forward to it like I feel like Paul does. I mean, like I have kids. I want to see them grow up. I want to see them flourish and be all that God has made them to be. But when it comes to whether I'm afraid of it, I don't think there's, I don't think there's fear there. I think there's hope behind it. And this is, I think, what Paul is trying to get across to this church. And I think it's worth us considering the same thought. Do we absolutely, fully believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do we? In our soul, in our gut, deep down in our darkest hour, do we believe it? More specifically, do we believe this man who lived and who died on a cross was resurrected from the grave? Do we believe that? Because if we do, if that is our testimony, if we have a testimony of faith in a God that we believe came to earth, lived the perfect life we should have lived, died the death we should have lived, marched down to the gates of hell, defeated Satan, sin, and death, and came on back, he got up. If we believe that, then we have all the reason in the world to say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Thanks be to God who has given me the victory from our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. I've got that victory. It makes me think of, um, you know, Will Smith's rendition of Muhammad Ali in the movie Ali. You remember when he comes in banging on the drum and he's like, the champ is here. That moment, right? That epic moment when there's this, he's the champ. So with the champ comes a swagger. With the victory comes some confidence. There's a, there's a walk that comes with victory, And for us as believers, there ought to be something in your life that indicates you've got victory in there, a testimony of victory. There's got to be a walk that you walk with, a confidence that you speak with, a hope that you have that lets other people know that you've got victory deep down on the inside of you. I'm not saying you need a nice car and fancy clothes. I'm not saying you need to be (laughs) financially prosperous. I'm not saying that's what victory means. I mean, even in your attitudes, in your reactions, in your faith when you're facing difficult circumstances, is there something that comes out of you that indicates that there's victory in you? The champ is here. All we got to do For that victory is what Paul says in Romans. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then it's done. It's done. We are saved. We can stand before an eternal, a righteous, a pure God justified. Having Jesus' blood atoned for our sin, which means his blood made the payment that we should have made. Justified means we can stand before God with a clean slate. We can stand before a pure God having somebody else paid for our sin. We can have that type of victory. We can walk victorious. This is what the inheritance of a Christian is. It makes me think of, um, if you remember the movie Troy, it's like probably 15 years ago now or so, but Brad Pitt, he plays Achilles in Troy, and they're on the boats, and they're headed towards battle, and he's given his like rallying cry speech, you know, which is, there's, these are all, always the best moments. And he says, he says, uh, what's he say? He says, uh, do you know what awaits you? 
immortality, take it, it's yours, right? That, that moment, like, where you're just like, you just want to jump up and scream. Well, I'm here, church, do you know what is yours? You who believe in Christ Jesus, victory, it is yours, take it. Like, I want to get my sword out right now and, like, charge through this auditorium. This is what is our right. This is what God has given to us. And we can say, thanks be to God. It's a victory I didn't even have to earn. I didn't have to do one thing for it. It was given to me. There ought to be a walk that comes out of the victory that you have in you. There ought to be something produced out of you that indicates there's victory in you. So what does the life of a victorious person look like? Well, Paul, Paul gives us some pretty good answers in this passage in verse 58, which is what I want to walk through in the next 10 minutes or so with you, is this is what the fruit and the life of a person walking in the victory of Jesus Christ looks like. And remember, the game is won. Victory over death has been accomplished. It is offered to you. All you've got to do is take it. The game is won. It's just not over yet. So Paul says this in verse 58. Therefore, be steadfast. Be steadfast. For us, we can define this term steadfast as being firmly fixed in place. Steadfast. It's what you're rooted to. It's what you're grounded in. It's what you're, it's what you're anchored in. What are you fixed to? And you'll know the value and the strength and the ability of the things that you're fixed to by how they hold up against the wind and the waves of the world. When circumstances, issues, pandemics, crashing economies come against you, you will quickly begin to understand the value and the strength and the worth of that which you are anchored to. Because if you are anchored to your retirement plan, it's letting you down. If you are anchored to your career path, it's letting you down. If you are anchored to XYZ, chances are right now is letting you down. But a person who has victory in Jesus Christ is fixed in place to the cornerstone. They say the stone the builders rejected, Jesus became the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is the one that holds it all together. And we can be anchored to that. In Hebrews 6, I want to read this quickly for you. It lets us know why we can be steadfast because of what we're anchored to. This is Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, his character and his oath, So by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on a forerunner, on as a forerunner on our behalf. We can have a steadfast 
anchor in the hope that is found in this. We serve a God who is unchangeable. The big theological word is immutable. He cannot be changed. His character does not waver. If he said it, he's going to do it. My God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Mind Has he not said it? Will it not come to pass? That is something you can anchor your life to. The word of God, the steadfast, solid, unchanging anchor of our souls. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Immovable just just means unable to be moved. That's an easy one. But I liken it to the house that's built on a rock in Matthew 7, verse 24, 25. Jesus is telling the parable. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on a bedrock. It won't move. It won't shift. It won't falter. It won't flutter. It is immovable because the foundation on which it is anchored supports it. Being fixed to a firm foundation allows us to be immovable. And what I love, the psalmist, the Psalm 23 says this, Psalm 27, rather, Psalm 27, verse 3 says this, though an army should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me. Even in this, I will be confident. This is the immovable nature of a believer who founds their hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even though war rise around me, even though enemies encamp all around, in this, I'll be confident. I'll be immovable, unshakable, unflinching. There's this amazing clip of Kobe Bryant. He's defending an, in, an inbound pass underneath the basket. So their other team is passing the ball in and Kobe Bryant's there and, and he just stands up to the line and the defender's right in front of him and Kobe's just staring at him. Go to camera three. And he's just staring at him. It's Mamba mentality, right? It's Kobe Bryant, the toughest guy in the NBA ever. And this guy on the other side, he takes the ball and he pretends to throw it in Kobe Bryant's face. And Kobe Bryant, he doesn't even move an inch. He doesn't move an inch. He's unflinching. This is our mentality. I'm going to go ahead and take Mamba mentality and co-opt it for the gospel. But for you and me, we can have the same Mamba mentality that when the devil is taking temptation, frustration, circumstance, collapse, and chucking it in our face, no, 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 we can just stand there. Unflinching, immovable. The game is won. The game is won. It's just not over yet. There's just some time left on the clock. You can throw it at me all you want, but I know you can't touch me. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. A person who has victory from Christ Jesus will be abundant in the work of the Lord. Matthew 5, 16, he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
It is not your good works that get you into heaven. It's not your good works that justify you before God. It's not the achievement and the doing and all of that that makes you right with God. That's believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. But your good works will absolutely help somebody else find Jesus. They will absolutely reflect the goodness of our God, how good he's been to you, will overflow in generosity and good work and love and care for others. And that will be the way that they see the goodness of our God. That absolutely will be the way that they have an encounter with the risen Jesus is if we abound in good works, if it so is so rooted in us that it overflows out of us. Us doing the work of the Lord brings both people and glory to God. It doesn't get you into heaven. That's faith. We have been saved by grace through faith. And this is the free gift of God that no man may boast But your good works, they will change the world. And they will be the result of being so victorious on the inside. It can't help but come out the outside. The good in you should flow through you. And you who live in victory can be abundant in good works. Because the same God who supplies seed to the sower, and you're the sower, and as you keep sowing, he'll keep supplying. And as you keep sowing, he'll keep supplying. And as you keep sowing, he'll keep supplying. The good in you should flow through you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. The fourth thing that defines a believer who has victory in Christ Jesus is that they are resilient. They are resilient. You can know that what you do isn't in vain. Even when you feel like it is, even when you're not sure, even day after day after day, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to sow good seed. You're trying to control your temper. You're trying not to fall back into that sin pattern. You're trying and you're trying. I'm trying to read my Bible every day, but I get through a sentence and I'm so confused I fall asleep. I'm trying to pray, but I can't keep my mind focused. I'm trying. No, no, that that's not in vain. It's not in vain. Keep walking faithfully one step after another, whether you feel it or not. Just keep going. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in good work because it's not for nothing. It is not in vain. God is a God who redeems, who delivers, who makes our pathetic, weak offerings powerful and useful and something that can change lives. It's not in vain. It's doing so much more than you think. So if I can give you one encouragement, you who after another week at home, after another week of this same old thing, after another week of grocery store visits which are so surreal and uncomfortable, after another week of feeling like something's got to break, something's got to change, if I can encourage you, remember, you've got victory in this. The game is won. The game is won for you. 
You have victory in this life over death. You have a God who has overcome that. Even if the worst happens to you, the, the best is yet to come for you. It's not in vain your labor, your walking, your faithfulness, your prayers, your hope in the midst of hopelessness, your faith in the midst of despair, your encouraging word to a neighbor, your offer of prayer, you reading one more Bible verse, you trying to memorize something you've never done before. It's not in vain. I believe, and I know our pastors believe as we've been talking about it, that God is doing something so unique in this season. He is plowing the ground for the gospel to go further, farther, faster than it's ever gone before. That people are confronted with their, moral, their mortality and their morality, quite frankly. And they're looking, we are looking. And maybe for you, even as a believer, you're thinking, man, I thought I knew God. I thought I knew I needed God, but I never knew I needed him like this. God is up to something. He's drawing you in. And if you can just remember and hold fast to the victory that you've got, you can walk steadfast and faithful through it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I'm so grateful for your son, Jesus. I'm so grateful for his life on this earth, for his sacrifice, for his death. And I'm so thankful for his resurrection, which is what he has given to me. He has offered that to me. That I don't have to fear this world. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear anything that comes against me. Because I'm steadfast, fixed in place to the solid rock. That when the winds blow, the hurricane gale force winds blow against my life, I can be unflinching because my confidence is not found in me. It's not even found in my faith. It's not found in how, how loud I can shout or how, how, how heartily I can sing. It's found in you. It's found in you. I can be steadfast. I can be immovable. And I can allow that produce out of me a goodness that reaches others, that changes the lives of others. If you're watching this tonight or later in the week, somebody sent you this message or you found it on YouTube and you don't know Jesus like that, but you'd like to, it's never a bad time to make a good decision. If that's you, I want you to text the word new life, N-E-W-L-I-F-E, new life to the phone number 25827. We'll just text you back asking for your name and information and then one of our pastors, myself included, will reach out to you to connect. If you're watching this live in the Church Online platform, there's a raise your hand button. I encourage you to click that and then click the button after that that says connect with us and that'll take you to a forum again. We just send us your name and information. We wanna walk with you on this journey. It is what we are here for. It's a decision that you make for Jesus, but it starts a journey of growth. And that journey of growth needs to be walked out with others. And we are others here for you to walk with you. It's the best decision that you can make. There is hope for you. There is faith for you. There are better days ahead for you to find what God is doing in and through you, what he might be saying to you. So if you would be so bold and so courageous in this moment to not just feel the need for a decision, but to act on it, we will walk with you on this journey of faith. And if you just need prayer, 
because the victory that is your birthright and inheritance doesn't feel like something that's manifesting itself day to day, that's okay. I think we've all been there. But if that's you, would you text, I mean, uh, just actually click the live prayer button or you can email info at gracecub.org with your prayer needs. You can text GCC to 25827. There's a link in there for prayer. And we will pray with you and walk with you on this journey. Victory lies ahead for you. It's yours. You just got to take it. Have a great week. See you Sunday.